You know what, I'm going to put this right here. It's bad when you anticipate that your mic is going to go out, but we've been having some issues. But when I was mentored in the ministry, my, um, the, the person that God put in my life to uh, help me told me something that uh, I have followed virtually for 20 years. He said, Chris, no matter what happens on Sunday morning, if you get up and you're not feeling great about what you're supposed to deliver, the message God has given you, do it anyway. Whatever you do, don't switch it up. And so I think two times in my ministry, I have violated that wisdom. And uh, today we'll make three. I have, um, you, if you know me, you know that I'm pretty measured. Did I interrupt something? Oh, no. oh okay, good. Oh, I'm going to pray. Yeah, all right, yes, we are going to pray in just a second. Sorry about that. Uh, as you can tell, I'm a little bit uh, distracted. Uh, but anyway, today will be the third time. And I, when, when I just got to church early this morning and just began my process of connecting with God, I, I just felt very strongly that... Um, I needed to go in a different direction. So what, I, I don't know if that was for me or if it's going to be for you, but hopefully it's to God's glory. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to ask God to guide this, all right? And I trust that as we open his word and discuss his truth, that um, his spirit will guide us and lead us um, to a profound and firm confidence in his truth. So let's pray. Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. You are trustworthy and true. Your word is true. And so today, Lord, as we dive in, as we think about really where we are as believers, as the church, as those who are called to let our light shine in the darkness, I pray, Lord, that you would confirm your truth and give us confidence. Into your hands today, Lord, in to your plan, we commit ourselves. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So for, for several weeks, uh, well before Christmas, I've actually been wrestling with a question because I'm disturbed by what, what I could only call a lack of confidence in the faith. Uh, what our kids might call swagger. So I've been, I've been wrestling with this question. Has the cultural war against Christianity caused us to lose confidence in our faith and to compromise our commitment to its mission? Have we lost confidence in our faith? And has our commitment to the mission of our faith been compromised? Now, you know the mission, right? We're going to read it. It's Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. Let's just read it together when it appears on the screen. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, the, the idea of that mission is 
is not, it's not just about choosing to go. It's not that we wake up with the decision that I'm going to go on mission. I'm going to go to a foreign country for missions. That's part of it. But it's, it's much more practical. It's every day. The idea is that as you go, as we go, as we do life, we are to let our lives speak of the, the hopeful truth of our faith. In other words, the mission is to live out what we say we believe. And I'm firmly convinced that if we have confidence in the faith, if we have confidence in our faith, then we will own our mission. And so, as we're evaluating, as you go, do you live the mission? Do people know that you're a follower of Jesus? My objective for the first part of 2020, all the way up to Easter, I believe, is to open God's Word and deal head-on with, with what I'm firmly convinced is a crisis of confidence in the church. Not, not just our church, but in the church at large. I, I want us to be able to look skeptics to look non-believers in, in the face and, and say with loving, respectful confidence, call me crazy, but I believe. Now, the question is, do you? I, I would say for the vast majority of us, we, at some point we signed up. We, we signed off on the fact that we believe uh, that Jesus was sent from God, stepped out of eternity and into time to live a perfect life. He died on the cross, was raised from the dead, showing us the way to connect with the Father. He did all that to forgive us our sins so that we could have an intimate connection with the Father. And so at some point, most of us signed up for belief. Call me crazy, but I believe in the truth of God's Word. Call me crazy, but I believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Call me crazy, but I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and the hope for all nations. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And my hunch is most of you believe all of that. The question is, do you have enough confidence in your belief to live it? To let your light shine. Call me crazy, but I believe. So, so for the next few weeks, we're, we're going to be going through this series, Call Me Crazy. And, and it's going to be an exploration of the countercultural teachings of our faith. What, what you might call divine life hacks that God has given us to enable us to navigate through the turbulent waters of our culture, our times, and our circumstances so that we can live successful, fruitful lives for the glory of God. So we can live our lives in confidence of the reliability of our faith and the truth of God's Word. Now, I, I think this journey is essential for all of us because the message of our culture in, in the post-Christian, by the way, post-truth era that we live in, both post-Christian and post-truth, is that we have, we as believers, have absolutely nothing to be confident about. That we're wrong that, that what we believe is a fairy tale. 
And this cultural war that we're experiencing is effectively planting seeds of doubt in our minds. I've been reading an amazing book called Confronting Christianity. It was Christianity Today's book of the year in 2019, if you're interested in something fascinating. But in that book, Sarah McLaughlin points out that around the turn of the century, there was a group of what what have come to be called new atheists that began spinning this credibility-killing, confidence-destroying web around our faith and choking the life out of our faith. In 2004, Sam Harris published the book, The End of Faith, Religions, Terror, and the Future of Reason. In 2006, Richard Dawkins released The God Delusion, which was on the New York Times bestseller list for 51 weeks and has sold well over 3 million copies. In 2008, the late Christopher Hitchens launched his tour de force of the atheist persuasion, which was called God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. Listen, here's the essence of their argument, which, by the way, is preached with passion. Dawkins ridiculed faith because it's been allegedly disproved by science. Hitchens sought to puncture the sagging balloon of public opinion that imagined that Christianity was a force for good. Now, I hope you say, oh, that's crazy. No, nobody believes. People believe that. As a matter of fact, those beliefs have begun to infiltrate the church. Those ideas have taken root in our culture to the point that if a hypothesis or a belief can't be proven scientifically, then it can't be true. So outside of science, we are to reject the foundational confidence that we have in absolute truth, meaning that there are no fixed standards of truth to build our lives on. There are no truths on which to construct our faith because the message is that truth beyond science is situational and is determined by, the, by an individual's experiences, their feelings, and their circumstances. So today, instead of there being truth for all, a truth that transcends circumstances, what we have, we are told, is your truth and my truth and their truth, and truth is relative. It is relative to your circumstances, your feelings, and your experiences. And since it is relative to the person, we as believers are told that we should leave everyone else alone and just let them believe what they want to believe, whether we know it's truth or not. Now, just a question. Can you imagine going into a doctor's office and the doctor discovering that you have cancer, but you say, you know, I don't want to hear it. I don't, I don't believe it. it. It's not true. And he goes, okay, no problem. Can you imagine? I hope not. And yet, with something as critical as what happens... On the other side of this life, when we cross over to this life to the next one, we're told just to keep quiet because everyone's truth is equal. People should just be allowed to believe what they believe. And if you love them, 
you will leave them alone. Now, this idea undoubtedly has done a number on Christianity. Because if you take away the truth, the idea that there is absolute truth, then you destroy the foundation of our faith. And without the foundation, we have no confidence and no reason to pursue its mission. Chuck Colson said this in in his book, The Faith. He said, if there is no such thing as truth, now I want you to think about what what he's saying. If there is no such thing as truth, then Christianity's claims are inherently offensive and even bigoted against others. Christianity, its claims, and its adherents are inherently offensive and even bigoted against others. Now, as as believers who are called and driven by love to win people to Jesus, it is debilitating to us and therefore confidence-destroying, but it's debilitating to us to be viewed as bigoted and offensive. We want to love. We want to be winsome. We want to be, like everybody else, approved by others. And so whether we like to admit it or not, this, this cultural war against God and truth has produced mass casualties among in the church. Christians fall silent in their witness. Christians, we, we surrender our convictions and we abandon the way of wisdom. Why? Because we don't want to be labeled as bigoted and defensive. What if they're right? What if we what if all religions are equal? Just as an aside, let me expose that fallacy for a moment. We're told that it's all the same. But can I just say, not only is that disrespectful to our faith, it's disrespectful to every other faith on planet Earth because every religion necessarily has distinctives that must be believed or you are not an adherent to that religion. Okay, Hindus, Muslims, they all have distinctive beliefs. Every religion, by definition, is exclusive. It's not just us. We all have that in common. But now that we have to remove truth because it's offensive... Our churches, individuals who worship God, have sat down. According to polls conducted by the Barna Research Group, a majority of evangelicals, which, by the way, are born-again Christians, that means if if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are born again, the Scripture tells us, you are born into a new life. The majority, a majority of born-again Christians do not believe in absolute truth. And because we don't believe in absolute truth, you know what we've done? We've closed our Bibles. And the fallout is widespread biblical illiteracy in our nation, certainly. But here are the numbers. Listen to this. 60% of Americans can't name five of the Ten Commandments. Now, hopefully you're going, can I name five? I did. It's like, wow, 
One, two, again. Seven, eight, maybe. Can't name five. Listen to this. 50% of high school seniors believe that Sodom and Gomorrah were married. (laughs) And in case you're wondering, they they weren't. (laughs) They were cities. Most grievous of all, most grievous of all, 49% of Protestant evangelical pastors, pastors reject core traditional biblical beliefs. Almost one in two. I'm not one of them. There, there is no doubt Listen, there is no doubt that the agenda of the new atheist is taking root. And it's not just in our culture, but it's in our churches. And, and by the way, we, we may not believe that, we may not feel it, but the data doesn't lie. Dare I say, it's absolutely true. So what do we do about it? Is there anything we can do to reinstill confidence and vibrancy in our faith? I think the first thing we have to do is get our heads out of the sand and admit that that it's happened. There is a malaise of indifference enveloping the church because of a lack of confidence in our beliefs. Rather than embracing the call of winning, winning the lost, inspired by the truth of God's love, you know what we've done? We we have succumbed to the fear of offending the lost with with what the culture has labeled as our politically incorrect, bigoted beliefs. The first step in changing our predicament is admitting that we are in one. We have been neutralized by the lies of our culture, and we should acknowledge it. The second thing we have to do is get back to the foundation of our faith, which is God's Word. And listen, I'm not, not just re-familiarizing ourselves with it, like going, what are the Ten Commandments? Let's go figure it out. Or who, who, are the, who is that couple, Sodom and Gomorrah? It's not just re-familiarizing ourselves with it. It's recommitting ourselves to reading it and, more importantly, doing it. Don't just be hearers of the Word. Do it, James said. See, when, here's what happens. When we choose to live by faith according to the word of God, believing it's true, God meets our, listen, this is so fabulous. God meets our faith with his faithfulness. And in doing so, he confirms the truth of his word by rewarding our obedience, our faith choices, with favor and blessing. In other words, when when God says, try this, do this, if we by faith do it, even if we're not sure, even if we don't believe that it's going to work, if we just take that step of faith, then God meets us When we get out of that boat and start walking on water, God meets us there and confirms the truth of his word. And if we aren't taking the risk of exercising our faith through obedience to his commands and living missionally, then our experience is not going to validate his word as truth. G.K. Chesterton said this, and I love this quote. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. You hear that? The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. True? 
It's not easy to live by faith, especially in this culture. It's not easy to live by a truth that no one else believes, that people call us bigoted for believing. But we can't let that difficulty deter us from living according to God's word. We, we can't become victims of this cultural war that is raging around us and shrink back in fear of being labeled as bigoted, ignorant, or offensive. Chesterton got it right. When we try the faith, it is not found wanting. When we try the faith, it's found to be true. It's actually proved as true. So here's the, the deal. Christianity is not going to thrive. It is not going to be accepted widely apart from the intervention of God's Spirit, in the prove-it culture of the scientific age. It's not. If you're having a debate about what you believe to be true, you're not going to be able to prove it as we prove other truths in the scientific age. Okay, it, why is that? Because it's not science. It's faith. By the way, this book that we read is not a science book. It's a book that we accept by faith. The truth of our faith is not going to be verified by proving it, but it will be verified by practice. So it's not prove it, it's try it for yourself. It's not prove it. Don't look at me and ask me to prove the faith. The challenge is for you to try it for yourself. And, and by the way, isn't, isn't that the way the world works anyway? Isn't that the way we do it? If you know me very well, you know that I'm, I love to fish. And I like all my gear. I like the stuff that you, my boys were making fun of me this Christmas because all I got was fishing stuff. And if you, if you go with me and we're out in the water and I'm, I'm going to tell you probably about why my St. Croix rod is the best one and why my reels are the best one and why my Costa sunglasses will change the way you fish. And, and if you look at me and say, prove it, you know, what I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you my sunglasses and say, try them for yourself. Because I can't prove it. I'm not going to say, watch, watch, watch me catch more fish than you do, which, by the way, I, I would hope to be true. <laughs> I'm going to say, take this rod and reel and try it for yourself. That's the way we discover truth. We try it for ourselves. And the same thing is true with Scripture. The same thing is true with the faith. Listen, from beginning to end of the Bible, the challenge is try it. Try it. And God will show you that it's true. Now, in the Scripture, if you just look up truth... It's going to be limited to, I believe, I looked it up, 132 verses. The word truth is mentioned. But from beginning to end, 
God's truth is communicated in various ways. It, it, the, the scripture used the word commands, the law of God, the word of God, the wisdom of God, understanding, knowledge of God, and even Jesus himself is said to be the truth, the word made flesh dwelling among us. So when you're reading scripture and you come across these terms, commands, law of God, word of God, understanding, what God is saying is, this is truth. This is what you can rely on. And, and if you don't buy these things as truth when you encounter them, then, then God's message from beginning to end is try it for yourself. Try it. If you don't believe that it's more blessed to give than receive, try it. If you don't believe that peace comes on the other side of turning the other cheek, try it. The message is try it. And you'll see that it's true. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 35. This is a really short verse. Not, not really as short as Jesus wept or anything. But Luke chapter 7, verse 35. Jesus makes this incredible statement that we sometimes gloss over. He says, but wisdom, and remember that's truth, God's truth, by the way, what is, what is truth? It's what God would do. He said, but wisdom is proved right by her children. Not proved right scientifically. Wisdom is proved right by her children. What in the world does that mean? It means that if you are a child of wisdom, meaning if you obey wisdom, the wisdom of God's word, just the way a child, we hope, obeys its parents, then through your obedience, living the life that's spelled out in God's word, you will prove its truth. The truth of God's wisdom is proved not by the war of words. It, it's not, it is proved in the laboratory of life. And so when you choose to live it, when you choose to try it for yourself, you'll see it's true. It's always true. I want you to turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs is, is the book of wisdom. These are the life hacks. These short phrases tell us how we should live life according to the, the truth of God's perspective. And if we live life that way, then we will meet success. I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 2. And I'm, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Now, first, there's going to be an argument for the for the believer to choose to accept what God says as wisdom. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding... Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, which is truth. So the, the exhortation here is to value the idea that truth is not only out there, but it can be in here. That we can find it. That we can know it. And then we set our hearts to discovering it. It becomes a passion for us. It's interesting that in Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 1, God is telling Jeremiah, look, if you go throughout the city of Jerusalem, I'll protect it. I won't destroy it if you find one person that is seeking the truth. 
not that's living the truth, not that's living righteously, but one person who is actually seeking the truth. Because what God says is if, if we seek it, we're going to find it. And if we find it, then of course, of course, logically, we would choose to live it. And when we live it, we'll prove it. So he says in, in verse 5, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of, of God. For, verse 6, The Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, his words, come knowledge and understanding that is truth. And what happens? What happens when we find it and we live it? Well, he, God... Remember how we said that he confirms it? He, God, holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right. Then when you have lived according to his word, you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Remember, God will confirm the truth of his word. And that is exactly what happens when we determine to try it for ourselves. Now listen, I don't, I don't know how many of you are skeptics, non-believers. You're, you're just here kind of tr trying it out. Try it for yourself. I, I don't know how many of you just kind of signed up for life insurance. You know, like, I don't, I don't want to be bothered by, like, living according to all that true stuff. I just want to be sure that when I move from, from this life to the next one, that I go to heaven. If, if that's where you are, like, if you're totally indifferent to living out God's truth, to living your life according to the commands of God, take the challenge. Try it for yourself. Because what happens is that God meets you in your faith. And he proves the truth, the wisdom of his commands. In verse 5 he said, if we seek wisdom, we'll find the knowledge of God. If we seek wisdom, we find God's truth then he confirms the notion that if we live by that wisdom, God, listen, will actively work to prove it valid and true. In verse 7, listen to this. This is what we're looking for. He says, success is in store for the upright, and he protects the blameless. That is God confirming the truth of his word. In verse 8, he says he guards your course and protects your way. If you follow his way, there is divine protection. In verse 9, he says you will know the good path. As you follow his truth, his will becomes crystal clear. In verse 10, his truth will bring you joy. Because it's pleasant to your soul. And then in verse 11, it says his truth will guard and protect you. I want some of that, don't you? I want joy and I want, I want protection and success. Okay, try it. See, because those things are found... As we by faith live his truth. God proves 
the truth. But you have to try it. It's not just something that we assent to mentally. It's something that we submit to physically. Wisdom is proved right by her children. Truth is proved true by those who live it. God's truth will bring us everything we want, everything we desire. Success, wisdom, peace. Most importantly, God's truth brings us eternal life. You might ask, why does God why does God activate in our lives to prove his truth? Because he ultimately wants to point us to the truth. You know what the truth is? It's a person. When Jesus was telling his disciples that he was going to be killed, crucified on the cross unjustly. They, they didn't believe him, but Jesus knew that they would, uh, upon his departure, they would enter into a season of profound despair. I mean, they had put all their eggs in his basket. They had walked away from everything to follow him. And so in John chapter 14, he said, listen, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He went on to say that when, when he left them, he was going to go to prepare a place for them. Now, if you ever question God's love, we, we know that it's proved by the fact that he sent his son at Christmas. We just celebrated that. The advent of God's son is proof of his love. We know that he proved his love when Jesus in ministry touched the untouchable and healed the sick and offered hope to the hopeless. We know that he demonstrated his love when he died on the cross. And he proved the reality of who he was when he was raised from the dead. But have you ever thought about how much God loves you by considering the fact that he's preparing a place for you? He is anticipating your arrival. Now that's love. He's setting up your room. He's getting your favorite food. I don't know how it works. But what I do know is that Jesus said, when he left, he's preparing a place for you. That's love. And so he went on to tell them, he said, hey, you can go where I'm going because you know the way. And Doubting Thomas said, Lord, we, we, we don't know the way. We don't even know where you're going. And Jesus said, no, no, you know the way. Because he responded, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to or connects with the Father except by me. You know why God works to confirm the truth of his word? Because it all points to Jesus and God wants us to have confidence in the way he prepared, the truth he shared, and the work he did to connect us with the Father. Here, here's what happens when you try it for yourself. 
you begin to live these principles of God's word that we're going to talk about moving forward. You begin to have confidence in his word. And you want to live it some more. And if you're not a follower in Jesus, you, you can look to the ultimate truth, which is Jesus. And with confidence that all of God's word is true, you place your faith in the word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You trust Jesus. You open your heart to him. Can I prove that he's the son of God? I can give compelling arguments. I can point to unlikely prophecies that were fulfilled by the life of Jesus. But all I really need to do is say, try it for yourself. If the rest of the word is true, all of that word points to Jesus, who is truth, the very embodiment of what God would do, the embodiment of God's love, the embodiment of God's desire to connect with you. And so the logical end of embracing truth is embracing Christ. And then you know what Jesus said would happen if you place your faith in him. He, he went on to tell the disciples in John 4, 15 and 16, he went on to tell them, look, when, when I go to heaven, I'm going to send another advocate the Holy Spirit, who he says is the spirit of truth, whose presence you receive when you trust Christ. When you receive the presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says he will guide you into all truth. So there it is. Completes the circle. Try it. Look to the ultimate truth, Jesus. Place your faith in him. And then the spirit of God will dwell in you, guiding you to all truth. Listen, the world tells us we have nothing to be confident about. But if you look to your story, if you have tried it, you know it's a lie. Because Jesus is the truth. So let's bow our heads and I want to ask you a question. Has your confidence Dissipated. Has your commitment to the mission been compromised? God's word is truth, it is reliable, and it's proved when you try it. So I just want to encourage you as you're being still before God today to assess your confidence. My conviction is that if you're confident, you'll be living according to the truth, the commands, the wisdom of God. 
So the way we assess our confidence is to figure out if we're living in obedience. Is God's truth the rule of your life? If it's not, then just admit it to Him and ask Him by His Spirit to guide you into all truth. If you're here today not because you're a believer, but because you're curious or you love someone who is. And you, you have been drawn inexplicably toward the, the truth of Jesus in this faith. I want you to understand that part of the mission, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to guide you to truth. And so maybe today is the day that God is inviting you to open your heart to place your faith in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no work that you have to do. He did all the work. All you have to do is believe. And you'll be connected to the truth into the God of truth. Father, I, I pray that you would lead us to the confidence of our convictions, that you would lead us to be missional in our, in our living. And Father, that as we go, as we choose obedience, that you will meet us, that you will meet our faith with your active presence. Lord, confirm the truth in us so we can lead others to your truth. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Will you stand as we sing this?